Let me tell you about today's sponsor, Bedtime History, a podcast that's been growing in popularity over the last year. It has over 1,500 positive reviews on Apple Podcasts and has been featured in the Apple Store and in major publications like the New York Times. Bedtime History is a series of relaxing, educational stories for kids and adults who want to hear a simple, easy-listening story from history. The narrator's voice is soothing, the content is calming, and there's not a lot of music and sound effects. Instead, it's designed to help families relax while enjoying an educational bedtime story. The Bedtime History Podcast has more than 130 episodes about people, places, and events from history. Examples include Neil Armstrong, Ben Franklin, Buffalo Bill Cody, and the Transcontinental Railroad. Bedtime History is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Audible, and all the major podcasting apps. Check out the show notes of this episode for a link to one of my favorite episodes about Neil Armstrong. I guarantee you're going to love it. The American History Podcast, fourth anniversary bonus episode. Welcome to the American History Podcast. Hosted by Sean Morswick. Okay, welcome back. Um, This is a very special episode. It's the fourth anniversary of the show. And for this episode, I am basically being interviewed by one of my former students, um, a guy named George. Now, George was an IB student of mine back in the day. He's been out of high school for a good while now, about 10 years, give or take. And we've kind of recontacted in the last couple years. Hadn't seen him in a while. Um, but we thought it'd be cool to have him interview me and rather than me interviewing somebody else. So something different and I hope you enjoy it. Here you go. Well, Mr. Warswick, it's a pleasure to be with you this evening. Cool. Um, Great Great to talk to you again, man. I, uh, so by way of background, I former student, I had you in, in high school. In I think it was was it AP history U.S. history? Yeah, it was AP World History. Um, AP World History, or or actually it was technically it was I think it was IB Prep History, but um, I don't even remember exactly how I taught that class. That was like the, you were the first year that I had that class, and it was basically they just give you the class and say, okay, have fun with it, <laughs> teach whatever you want. So um, I kind of talked to the junior and senior teachers and was like, you know, what do you think? they need to have for this class. And my, my mandate was basically to get you to read and get you to write. So was for you, you were one of the students that wasn't too hard to do. Well, thank you for humoring me. So it's, so it's been over 10 years, I guess, since we've known each other and reconnected since I, no, it's been like, like five weeks. You, you just, five weeks. The sure. class. we just met. Yeah. We just I met. Mean, God, that makes me feel so old now. <laughs> Believe it or not, I was in my thirties back then. I'm a few weeks out of my thirties now, uh, probably lying there, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, since we've reconnected, you've moved schools and finished i think you did you finish your phd program i finished the classwork but i did not finish the dissertation the dissertation okay and you have this podcast yeah which is something new yep and and i'm coming from this as a new listener a new new kid on the block uh, okay so so can you give me a little bit of a backstory on this podcast yeah so 
I mean, kind of, you know, like a lot of people out there, I enjoy listening to a podcast. Um, back in the day, um, when I was at the school where you went to, I lived on basically lived on one side of town and worked on the other side. So it was like a 30 mile commute one way every day. So you got to have something to listen to. And so, you know, I was listening to podcasts and obviously I love history and that's kind of a thing on the, in the podcasting world. One of the big things is history podcasts. So, you know, I'm always thinking, yeah, I, I can do this. I mean, I teach history six times a day, seven times a day, whatever it was at that school. And, um, Surely I, and I, I'm not like, I don't have stage fright. I don't, I don't worry about standing up in front of students and talking for whatever amount of time. So, you know, how hard can it really be? So I thought about doing it, but it does take a lot of time. And there's a lot of technical where there was more so than now technical stuff to getting like a show on iTunes and, and Spotify now that you've got Spotify and Stitcher and, you know, all that stuff. So I thought, okay, tomorrow I'll do it. Well, you know how that goes. Tomorrow comes and goes, and it's two years later. So about 2016 or so, I was getting heat, shall we say, from administration at that particular school, and um, we didn't see eye to eye on things. And so I thought, well, you know, I, I might need a, a backup job just in case I end up at Starbucks or 7-Eleven, um, which was a real possibility. I, I, I upset one or three people there. So spring of 2017, I thought, all right, you know, I'm going to buy the URL for the, for, for a podcast. And what could I call it? And I, I mean, literally I just came up the American history podcast. Let's keep it simple. I, I really didn't look to see if there was any better. I didn't really think, you know, I maybe come up with something catchy. Um, that was literally, it like took two seconds. I was like, all right, let's look up the URL. Didn't, nobody owned it. So boom, I bought the domain and um, I did that through Weebly actually. And then um, I sat on it for a few months and then it was that summer and, and I, you know, I bought like a, a microphone and all this and, and I, and I planned a three or four episodes, got, got hooked up with the uh, podcasting service, uh, podcast websites who I'm not with anymore. And um, cause at the time it was one stop shopping. It was the easiest thing out there. But it was, it was kind of expensive. But anyways, um, so then I started and I mean, recording the first episode, it was like a 10 minute episode or something. And it must have taken me two hours. It was just it was awful, um, you know, just looking out at a wall <laughs> in a room and just really feeling self-conscious about all of a sudden, like, oh, my God, there's no audience there. You know, I mean, there is, but there isn't. So it's not the same as as even just zooming here which is far better than um, just looking off into space or, you know, trying to read from a, a script and there's no, there's no feedback. There's nothing, um, nothing to kind of gain feedback from. And you can't really tell jokes cause you don't know who's going to like this joke or if it's going to go, they, they don't know your personality. You know, they can't see you smiling. So I don't know. It, it took, a, it was really difficult um, for me to, to do that, which was, which was again, weird. Cause I mean, you can stand me in front of a crowd and I can talk. It doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all, but turn on a microphone and have no crowd. And I was just like, uh, 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 uh what, uh, uh, stop, go back. And, and it was, it, man, it was awful. <laughs> it was really bad. You, you talk about 
a historical context that you you got some heat from the administration of where you were working as sort of the 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 urge the pinch to to do this now why why did you see a a podcast as of you know an, an alternative as well, opposed was, to I, yeah i was ahead. kind of looking for something where i could still do what i love which is to talk history um and then i thought well maybe you know i mean kind of like you're the kid growing up playing basketball and you're like, well, maybe one day I could play basketball professionally. And, you know, I don't know. You'd never know until you try it. And so it was kind of, um, kind of one of those things where I thought, okay, maybe I could monetize it and it would maybe help a little bit, which is really difficult. There's a lot of great, great podcasts out there and more so now you're getting things like the BBC doing it, you know, so you've got professionals, that do this sort of thing, voice actors or whatnot. And there's just some great, the competition is great. Um, There's hundreds of podcasts on just on history. You know, we're not even including current events and politics and, you know, things like true crime or whatever that people maybe, maybe like. So, you know, that was kind of like just, and the reality was it was just a way to kind of keep my feet in doing history because I, I really was expecting to get fired. Um, basically I told somebody to F off, um, who was my boss. And, uh, I, I told this person that they were not qualified to tell me how to teach social studies. Um, and I listed my CV and said, what's yours. <laughs> and this is the much cleaned up version of the story. I was really angry. They'd been messing with me all school year and it was, you know, it was finally the last straw and I just flipped out. And, uh, I came home and told the wife, yeah, I, I think I'm going to need a new job. <laughs> so, um, yeah, here we are. You know, I, but I had some friends, um, the department chair at the school where you graduated from who hired me had moved to the school that I'm at now and got me in. And um, it was like, yeah, come on over here, dude. You'll, you'll totally love it. And, and I do. It's like 10 minutes from my house. Um, way better than commuting 40 minutes one way. You know, um, and then, then there was some other stuff going on at the time too, that I think was also stressing me out. Um, like I got shingles that spring and I missed like one day of work. Um, my mom was sick. My mom's got Parkinson's. Um, and so it was just, it was just like a rough spring. And, but you know, nobody ever asks you that, right? Like nobody ever asks you, uh, Hey, you're flipping out, dude. Like you're usually pretty calm. Like, you know, is there something going on at home? No, no, nobody cares about that. They, they just decided um, we, you know, we don't need this guy. He's, we can, we can get somebody cheaper and right out of college that we can mold. And so I guess that's, that's what they wanted. So that's what they got, but it worked out. Worked out. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious, you said that there's a lot of competition in this field and maybe, I don't know if this is a correct characterization, but you're considering yourself a non-professional. So there's all these corporations and professionals getting involved. Do you think that there's an advantage to, uh, you know, I don't know what you call this, but sort of the individual, the, the, I mean, how would you, how would you characterize yourself as a, as a podcaster? Well, I'm not beholden to anybody. So, you know, and I've had a couple of reviews where people, um, it's funny because I swear it's the same guy and I think he's bipolar. Cause it's like on a Monday, I'll get a bad review calling me a Trump supporter. And then on Tuesday, I'll get a bad review calling me um, a Biden supporter. And I'm like, it's gotta be the same dude 
and he's just making new accounts. And I swear to God, he's, he's like bipolar. He can't figure out what I am. So, um, you know, to Monday he hates me and thinks I'm a Trump guy Tuesday. And then like three months later, it'll happen again where, and it, I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but you know, it seems like I'll get a bunch of good reviews and then, then all of a sudden I'll have one or two that are like, they just don't like me for whatever reason. And that's fine. Um, I, I'm not a professional voice actor and, and I know that. Um, but I think what you know is that I'm not beholden to the BBC um, or, you know, the NSA or CIA or whoever, whoever you don't like, I'm not beholden to them. And so I'm not going to give you their politically correct version of events or, or whatnot. I'm, I'm going to tell you as much as I can, what I think, but I always tell that, you know, in my opinion, blah, 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 blah. I, I and uh, quite a few people have emailed me and said, you know what I, I really like is I don't really agree with you. But I like when you that you say, here's the history, but then here's my opinion. And you're pretty, pretty upfront about it. And you don't, you know, you're not trying to like hide the ball, so to speak. Um, so I think that's the advantage. Whereas like if it were a show that that was being done by NPR, you know, not that not that there's anything wrong with with a show being done by NPR or whatever. Um, but Mm, I don't know. I kind of like listening to people that that are different and that that aren't, you know, part of this corporate infrastructure, you know. But you bring up something that's really interesting that I don't know if the average person or the average listener or maybe the average student might consider. But you're talking about when you bring up your opinion on certain things or maybe you're analysis, your analytical framework. So what exactly is the angle that you try to take or that you, you take in your analysis, your historical analysis? So my, I guess you could say my worldview is coming from an, for lack of a better term, from kind of an Austro-libertarian perspective. So I've, I've been influenced by scholars like, you know, Murray Rothbard, Ludwig von Mises, um, F.A. Hayek. And so my kind of worldview is, I mean, to quote Murray Rothbard, you know, the state, and I'm going to do a bad job of it, but, you know, the state isn't a country club. The state, the government um, is an organization which has a monopoly on violence within a certain geographic boundary. And, um, so the, the state, to put it shortly, is a violent institution. Um, it's not your friend. It's not, a, like I said, it's not a country club. And I think we've seen that over the last, you know, 20 years, 10 years, the last year, you know, when you're looking at, at, at some of the events in this country. Uh, and so I'm always, I shouldn't say always, I say 95% of the time I will come down on liberty and freedom um, as my my kind of touchstone, if you want to call it that, you know? Um, so like the events of the last 12, 14 months, when it first started, I'll admit, I mean, I think all of us were kind of like in shock, right? Like when COVID broke out, the lockdown started, I mean, it was like you were like, what the heck's going on? Your head was spinning. Um, I, I'm not a doctor. Uh, I'm not a virologist or an immunologist or anything like that. So I don't know. Um, just a normal guy. And so, you know, I'm sitting there going, yeah, I mean, if, if 
gosh, if the science says that we need to social distance and okay, you know, wear a mask. Okay. Um, so I can't claim that I was like right there early on, um, against it, but definitely by about June or so, just from what I saw in myself and my own students, um, I realized that that freedom is always, and, and, and I kind of went back to that, that air on the side of freedom, cause you're not going to get it back or it's going to be a real difficult time to get it back, you know? Um, so I, I guess that's kind of the, my take on history is, um, first of all, war is bad. I don't like wars. And I just did, did a bonus show, um, for the Patreon subscribers. That's, that's talking about the Gulf war. And it was basically, it started about because I had a run in with somebody on Twitter, call him a Twitter story. And, um, I think he's like a graduate of NYU or Chicago U or something. I was like, wow. They, and all he could say was F bombs at me. And, and cause he was like, you know, of course Saddam Hussein was evil and should have been removed. And, um, he was engaging in genocide and I'm like, which genocide again, did, did he perpetrate in Kuwait? I, I don't remember. And then he caught himself and he's like, Oh, well, you know, I, I I'm like, come on, this is a, a bunch of garbage. He didn't do anything like that. I mean, now you could say he invaded Kuwait. That's correct. There's a whole lot of background to that. Um, which, you know, people have forgotten. So what happened with, with that is that I thought, okay, I'll do a bonus episode. And then after a couple of days, I realized that the outline for the bonus episode was 30 pages. And cause I tend to write an outline first, if I can, um, unless it's like a really short episode, but I immediately knew I'm like, okay, well, 91, if you're going to understand the war of 91, you got to understand the tanker war. And if you need to understand the tanker war, you got to understand the Reagan doctrine but that's really the Carter doctrine. Okay. So let's go back to 79 and, and then it, it just blew into this huge thing. And so um, it's turned into several episodes, but like the first two I've already recorded and put on Patreon and that's like an hour, I think an hour and a half, two hours of, of stuff, something like that. Um, and there's more and, and yeah. So um, that's kind of where I'm, I'm coming from, I always look at, you know, try to give people a different take. I don't want, you're not going to get the CNN version here, um, without a doubt. Well, I think as, as a fresh listener, um, it's, it's tempting to think that the speaker or the podcaster has an objective, if you can even call it that, an objective viewpoint, especially in the reading of history. And by you being upfront about your analytical framework or your worldview, I think, and like you said, you're trying to pro provide a different perspective. It allows a much more honest conversation with your listener because they, they know you're not trying to scam them or you're not trying to sell something that you're not. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's that's also part of your 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 brand, or let's say, like you're as you said, you're not beholden to anyone. You have your your thoughts and your worldview and and your reading of history, and you can honestly engage with that. And and I think I might have even told your, your class, you know, because I, I usually try to say it in history class when when I'm teaching, or usually early on, it's something to the extent that we're all biased. There's not a there's no such thing as un, being unbiased. I know Fox News tries to portray, you know, fair and balanced. Okay. 
we're not biased, but we're all biased because we're human beings. Um, but the difference is that, that I'm going to try to tell you where my biases are at, you know, um, and I'm definitely different than let's say your generation. Cause I'm gen X. Um, so I, like, it's funny. Cause a couple of years ago, one of my students said, okay, boomer. And I'm like, well, technically I'm not a boomer. I'm gen X. That's my parents, but let, let's get it right. I'm definitely not a baby boomer. Um, this generation is uh, zoomers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, but, called- but you can settle down there. Zoomer. If you're going to, if you're going to use these kind of terms, you might want to figure them out. Cause I know them. Um, but I'm gen X. So I, I grew up in the aftermath. Well, I was born in, in the last years of the Vietnam war and definitely affected by the Vietnam war, um, which I'm really fascinated by. Um, and so my, I'm a little more cynical of government and the state. And like one of the things that, cause I'm a veteran, but I don't like when people tell me, Oh, thank you for your service. Don't, 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 don't do that. Don't, don't do that. If you ever meet me, don't tell me, thank you for your, no, I'm not, I'm not a hero. You know, I wasn't out there killing um, Nazis or, or whatever. And, and even then, like, no, it's, it's just, it's just makes me feel awkward. And um, I'm like, I've had it happen because I used to, well, I still have um, some of my Navy cruise jackets from some of the deployments. And I used to wear one every now and then very rarely do I wear it now. It's got to be cold and it's just got to be like the only thing I can find. And then, I'll, okay, well, I guess I'll wear it. But, um, you know, and I would get people like 2002, 2003 would be like, oh, you know, thank you for your service. And I'm like, yeah, thanks. Like, uh, it's just kind of weird, you know. Um, but yeah, we're, we're all biased, you know, and we're all affected by the time in which we grow up. Uh, my time just happened to be the 1970s and 80s. Um, I graduated high school. My freshman year in college was the October that the Berlin Wall collapsed. So I'm definitely affected by all of that stuff. You know, Vietnam syndrome. Um, I didn't really get over it. And I don't think that this country should have, truth be told. I think the worst thing that ever happened was the Gulf War and the whole thing where George H.W. Bush said, you know, we've kicked the Vietnam syndrome to the curb. Man, that was the worst thing that could have happened to us, um, in my opinion, speaking of opinions. Well, I'm, for, for a listener who isn't familiar with, as you put it, the, the Austro-Libertarian perspective, what, what is the, the end goal or the aim or the vision of that type of a perspective in terms of, so, I guess, as, as a political framework or a, a world yeah. so, goal. So Murray Rothbard wrote a book, um, and of course now I'm forgetting it, um, for, for A New Liberty. And early on in it, he talks about um, the non-aggression principle being kind of um, the foundational principle of libertarianism. And for those who don't know it, Murray Rothbard um, earned a PhD at Columbia University in, uh, I forget the year exactly, it's in the 50s. And um, yeah, I think it was like 1956 or 58. And literally within like a year or so, of graduating, he published two books. One was um, a book on the panic of 19 of 1819, 1819. And even today, if you look in like the historiography of that time, you know, if you're looking around 1820 and you want monetary history, this is the, considered the book 
like, and it was published in like 1959, I think it was 5859 ish. So I mean, we're talking six decades later and it's still seen as kind of the authoritative look at this event. At the same time, he publishes a book called man economy in the state, which is ginormous. And um, I'd be lying if I said I'd read the whole thing. It's, it's like 1500 pages or something. And it's an economic treatise. You know, it's just like a whole edifice of economics. He did that on a typewriter. It's, it's amazing what this guy wrote. I and mean, they're still publishing books that they found in his archives that he had written. Um, some in just note form, you know, um, and you just have to learn Murray Rothbard uh, handwriting to be able to decipher it. And like, I think they've just published a book of his on the American Revolution because he was like, well, I'm done with economics. What am I going to do now? So he just started doing a lot of history and um, I mean, the guy is just just crazy. Who's crazy prolific? Um, but he he said that you know basically the foundational principle of libertarianism is the non-aggression principle. You know, I don't have the right to to take anything from you, and you don't have the right to take anything from me. And then from that follows on this whole kind of and and you know if you remember like the Ron Paul um, campaigns of two thousand eight and two thousand twelve. You know, you, you, it's basically free market economics. Um, it's freedom and free exchange, you know. So following on from that, you know, it's we don't believe in things like victimless crime laws. You know, um, I don't think you should be put in prison for buying a plant leaf. That's stupid. I mean, you can go buy, buy plant leaves at 7-Eleven anyways. You can buy tobacco. Why is that any worse than, you know, marijuana? To me, it's just stupid. Um, those are victimless crimes. Uh, so we don't believe in that stuff. Um, maximum freedom and liberty. You are, you know, George, you are your own master. What you put into your body is, is your decision. That's your choice. You know, if you want to have sexual relations with somebody, then that's, that's your choice. That's not, that's not mine. And, and I mean, if you want to, sell your body, then that's your choice. That's not mine. And I don't have the right to tell you, no, I would tell you, you know, make sure you use protection and all that stuff and be safe. But, you know, um, we don't believe in, 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 um, victimless crimes, um, putting people in cages for having plant leaves. I mean, it's, it's awful. So I don't know if I answered it quite as well as I could have, but hopefully, hopefully that did. I'd love to have a, a whole discussion on political philosophy with you. <laughs> political theory but i'll try to stick to the to the, to the history you're in charge this is your yeah. show, the george show today <laughs> well I, you know you know i'm 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 also curious you said you prepare that the the last episode i, I believe or the one that you'd spoke that you were talking about the gulf war you said about 30 pages of outline yeah so, yeah so i'm really curious what what your preparation process is for each episode how do so you do this i, I kind of treat it like grad school so i cheated a little bit because you know, if I'm doing like a history episode on U.S. history, I've got lectures for, you know, U.S. history. So I can kind of cheat it a little bit. Um, but what I'll do is I try to read as much as I can um, three or four different books to try to get a feel for um, what is the literature saying on the topic. You know, so like if if we're talking about the Gulf War, so the episode on the Gulf War, probably the best one because that's the one most in my head. Because um, at this point, it's sometimes hard to remember what book said what. 
<laughs> so if it were going back an episode two years ago, I'd be like, yeah, I don't remember really. Um, but you know, the, the Gulf war episode, I read Andrew Basevich and I read his book a few years ago, um, America's war for the greater middle East. And it's just a fantastic book. I think I read that book like in two days. I mean, I just, I just blew through it and I had tabs everywhere and it just stuck with me. It's just such a great book. And then, um, Scott Horton, the great Scott Horton, he does a, he's got a fantastic show. Um, he's out of Austin, but he's, you can get his podcast. He's done like 10,000 interviews on us foreign policy. And I mean, if you ever hear the guy, he's, it's just, you press the button and he just starts vomiting us history on foreign policy. And it's, it's just crazy how much he knows, especially with like the war in Syria, he can talk about the different groups and this and that. And you're like, but CNN told me it was just Assad. And, and so uh, his book, uh, Time to End the War, is another very important book that, that, that I read. But then there was like Chalmers Johnson's Blowback, um, which I'd read about 10 years ago. And I just kind of, so that one, I just kind of quickly go through it. And, and I tend to write in my books when I read them and, and, and underline things. Um, and then I'll sometimes put sarcastic comments. So it's kind of like when I was grading your papers, you know, <laughs> put sarcastic comments inside. What do you mean here? Um, which is, is okay. Cause I, I, if I'm being unclear, then I want somebody to, to do that. And my wife does that to me, by the way, I I'll have her usually read the script beforehand. So cause this flow, you know, am I, cause I always tell students, you guys know it up here, but that doesn't mean that it's come out on here on the paper, you know? So I read Basevich, and then there's another book by Basevich called Washington Rules, which talks about the, the rules of U.S. foreign policy. And, and I didn't read the whole thing. I just, I'm, I'm basically doing the grad school thing where you don't read the whole book. You know, you read the introduction, the conclusion, and you read a couple of chapters real quick and maybe a, a review or two just to get something because I, I don't need to read every book. I, I lived through the Gulf War. I remember this. I was nine when the Iranian revolution took place and. I remember, you know, my family being upset with the hostages, you know, being taken in Tehran and stuff. So I, I just have to kind of stop for a minute. And, and I sadly can remember this stuff um, like it was yesterday. Um, and so it's just a matter then of connecting the dots and then putting it on an outline and going, okay, so where do I want to go with this? Or where do I want to go with that? Um, but then I try to find other stuff like, like, you know, one of the things that, that is coming up in an episode, I'm going to talk about Islam in and it's in the patreon series that is now called quagmire in the middle east it went from a it went from an episode to an entire series that's for patreons only um but i found an, an article from the guardian back in god i think it was 2002 where they're talking about how you know this whole idea of um 72 virgins is well first of all the quran doesn't doesn't have a number um secondly it might be a mistranslation and it just might be that they were talking about, and and you'll have to go to Patreon to listen. Um, but it looks like they weren't really referring to sexual paradise, let's say, which is what you know. If I was a recruiter for Al Qaeda and I'm looking at 19 year old young men, I was a Navy recruiter. I'm telling you, man, I was telling you, you want you're going to go to Hawaii, George. We're going to send you to Hawaii, bro. You're going to be in the Navy. It's great. There's babes on the beach. You're 18. Australia, Australian women are beautiful, George, come on, saying, you know, you want to go. I mean, that's what the Al-Qaeda guys are going to do, right? They're going to say, oh, everybody's getting 72 virgins. They're beautiful. What, what do you like? Blondes? That's what you go. Oh, that's. But it might be all based on a mistranslation. 
Um, so that's going to be in that episode. So try to, and, I, and the best way to say it, you know, is I'm just trying to get three or four different sources and then come up with a story that fits, that makes sense. And that is definitely going to make you go, hmm, you know, because there's a lot of myths in history. And one of the things that I don't like is perpetuating myths. And I don't want you to come away thinking, U.S. good guy, this guy bad guy. There's no white hats and black hats. You know, um, this ain't Star Wars, which I love Star Wars, obviously. But um, not the sequel trilogy, but that's a discussion for a different time. (laughs) Real Star Wars, which is George Lucas Star Wars. Um, But I probably just lost 50 50 listeners there. Probably get a bunch of negative reviews. This guy's a scumbag. He's a fascist. He doesn't like Disney Star Wars. What's wrong with him? But then maybe I'll gain 50 more who are like, yeah, he hates Disney. So who knows? <laughs> well, this is, you bring up something that's kind of interesting and maybe related to something I brought up before. But when you say connect the dots or you said you're asking yourself, where do I want to go with this? It sounds to me like you're putting forth an argument. You're not, you're not putting forth a an executive summary of brief points of data. That's not what you're doing here. You're, you're, you're in essence, you said a story, you know, put it, put together a story, put together an argument. Yeah. I'm wondering, do you, do you formulate these as you go or do you have, you know, at at what point does your perspective, your, your libertarian perspective come into play into this process? I'm wondering how this works. So it's kind of organic. Um, so season two was on the, the U.S. war with Mexico. And um, so my, my argument was, and one of the things that I'm very much interested in is the idea of this American empire. Um, as a matter of fact, I think, I think it was your class. One of the students pushed back on me when I said, yeah, the United States is an empire. And he was like, what are you, are, what's wrong with you? What do you mean that the U.S. is an empire? And I'm like, oh, wait, I know you're right. You say the Pledge of Allegiance every day. It's a republic, Mr. Warswick, right? I mean, we say it every day. It must be so. And then he was taken aback. And I'm like, see, the reason that you think we're not an empire is because there's no Emperor Palpatine walking around with black robes. I mean, just because, I mean, he's a president. A president is, it's a republic, right? But, you know, Rome was an empire before Augustus. I mean, it had an imperial policy before Augustus um, came to the came to power. The, so, and there's there's other people who have actually said that we should embrace our imperial destiny, if you will. Um, people like Charles Crowdemer, um, who's dead now, but you know Bill Crystal, um, scholars like Niall Ferguson, who was at Harvard at one point. I, I don't think he's at Harvard anymore, um, but and there's others, Max Boot aptly named Max Boot, I think. He's a neocon um, pro-empire, but there's others. Uh, I mean, Andrew Basevich, who's a retired army colonel, uh, was a professor at, at Boston University, I think. Um, he's basically said it's, I mean, there, there's a ton of, there's a whole body of work, right? Um, so that was my argument was that the war with Mexico, it wasn't accidental. It was purposeful um, and part of manifest destiny. Um, so season three, we did on the progressives and the, the new, um, the, the, the great depression. 
And my argument there was that, you know, government policies is what made the depression, the great depression. It wasn't Herbert Hoover. And there's very little difference policy-wise actually between um, Herbert Hoover and FDR. The difference is that FDR took Hoover's blueprint and then put it on steroids. I mean, that's, that's really, um, that's really the difference there. And so for season four now, which is going to be on the war in the Pacific, because I'm really another one that I'm fascinated with is World War II. But we're going to only deal with the Pacific. We're not going to do the Nazis. And there's a couple of reasons. Number one, I think the Nazis are overdone. Um, number two, they look like the empire or the empire looks like them. I guess technically they look like the empire because the empire came first, right? Because it's far, far away, long time ago. And, um, but, <laughs> and I like the empire. So I'm like, eh, that's no, no. Um, the empire, Darth Vader's cool. I mean, come on. Um, but I think that the, the war in the Pacific gets short shrift. Now, my argument there, I'm not going to really, I'm not going to say it here, um, but, but I do, I do have an argument, but it will, it'll kind of evolve. And there will be like several sub arguments. Um, I, I will say that, that one of the things when we get to the end of season four um, will be that I think it was a mistake that the United States dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. I, 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 I would not have done that if I were Harry Truman. And I understand why, um, but I wouldn't have done it. And, and it's more than what, what most people think when I say I understand why. Um, the Cold War had already begun. So, now I'm, you're still teaching. Yes, and I'm I'm wondering do do you teach the same way that you speak on your podcasts, or are they different, or your approach is different? You know, I don't really give an argument when I teach. And maybe I should, I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm really cognizant when I'm teaching, especially like, cause I teach AP world history. So I, I'm really cognizant of what they need in order to score. Well, mm -hmm. because I'm very competitive and I want them to all pass, <laughs> you know, that's just my, the competitive person in me. Um, although I've gotten less so, in the last few years. Um, I mean, at one point, one year I had, I was teaching AP US history and I had 98% pass the exam. And from that point on, I was like, okay, I, I've got the Super Bowl ring, you know? And even the one who, the one who didn't, I was like, man, I can't believe Joe took the exam. What is he doing? He's going to get like a negative five. I mean, I love Joe to death and that's not his name, by the way. Um, but I was like, man, he is I, with all love. He is a knucklehead and he almost passed. Um, and we were talking about it after once I found out what the questions were and what he said. And I was like, man, I wouldn't be surprised if you passed. And he got, I think he got a two and a three is passing. Um, so I was, I was like, man, we almost had a hundred percent. But, you know, I'm more focused when I teach, especially now. Well, not now because this year has just been a mess and a disaster. So we're not going to mention this school year. Um, but normally I'm more interested in getting you to write. I think the more that you write, the better you're going to be. And then you are going to go home and read. And I'll lecture a little bit, but 
you know, the idea is that you've got to do the reading. You've got to meet me 50, 50. Um, I can't put the knowledge in your head, but I can drill you on how to write. And the more you do that, I mean, you were a basketball player, you know, it's like taking free throws. The more you do it, it just becomes second nature. Um, if we can do it enough and we never can do it enough. Yeah. And, and part of my question has to deal with maybe modern day education and the way things are done now in the classroom. But the other part of it is I remember when I was going through school and I still hear the same complaints from students is why, do, why are we studying history? Like what, it's an afterthought and you're spending time outside of work in addition to work. Cause I'm a madman doing yeah. and. And how long, and how long have you been, how long have you been running with this podcast? You said since 2017, 17, so yeah, we're we're on 87 episodes, 87 episodes, which is what's the average length of each episode? Uh, probably about 30 minutes, give or take 30, so, 30 minutes. And then, so almost 2,600 minutes, this is some rough math, yeah. 2,600 minutes of recorded podcasts. Yeah. And you're saying how much. How much time is done preparing for each episode, would you say, on average? Probably three to five hours. Three to five hours. Sure. Okay, let's, let's just say 180 minutes each. I mean, you've put over, let's just say, on average, about 16,000 minutes of preparation plus another 2,600 minutes of actual doing. I mean, you, you're getting... <laughs> It's safe to say that this isn't a hobby. I would say, I would say no, this is not a hobby. It's become an obsession. <laughs> it's become an obsession. So I guess my question for you is, is that the student who might be listening, who doesn't necessarily care much about history, or maybe the, the parent who's trying to explain the value of history to their, to their children, or, you know, the average citizen. Yeah. What, what's, what's the value in, in learning and studying history, you know, especially for me now? Yeah, I could probably give you some trite answer about history repeating itself or something like that. Um, but I think what's important is that it's an intellectual exercise and it teaches you how to argue how to make an argument. And I think it's important. It teaches you to how to analyze things. And if we're trying to figure out where we're going, we need to know where we were at. You know, it's kind of like if you're going on a trip, you got a roadmap. And let's say you're going to, you know, you're going from Texas to California. And let's say you live in Houston. Why would you do that? Come on. I mean, yeah. Pick a different state, please. <laughs> it's, we're, we're pretending this is California back when it wasn't so whack. Um, okay. To use okay. The, the, the young people's term that I hear all the time, whack. <laughs> whack. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's say we're going to Alaska. Okay. And, you know, you've left Houston and you find yourself in Albuquerque. And you don't want to be like Bugs Bunny used to say, I should have taken a left point at Albuquerque. You know, what we, you're, you're, you got to know, okay, I got to get up here and I'm, I've come from this direction. And so it's kind of the same thing, you know, um, otherwise you're, you're, you're going to, and God, it's can, it is kind of getting back to the trite answer of repeating our mistakes. But for example, with the, the whole Patreon series that I started quagmire in the middle East, you know, um, we've been in the middle East for at least depending on how you want to look at it since 2001. 
Now, in Quagmire, I show you that actually we've been involved in the Middle East since about 1979. That's, I was nine years old. I'm 50, going on 51 now. And what have we achieved? Hillary Clinton and Condoleezza Rice the other day condemned Joe Biden when he said, you know, he wants to pull the troops out by, of Afghanistan by September 11th. And oh my God, it's too soon. I mean, I'm like, what, how long is it going to take? How many more people have to die before you figure out that we're not going to fix it? You know, um, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We've been in the Middle East at least since 1979. I've been screwing around there. If you want to go back to the removal of Mos, uh, President Mos, Mohammed Mossadegh from Iran in the early 1950s, early in the Eisenhower administration. At what point are we going to finally figure out, you know, maybe we've done more harm than good. Well, if we don't know that history, then we're never going to figure that out, you know? Um, and, and it annoys me when people say things like, well, Saddam, you know, he's a genocidal maniac. Okay. Well, what, what genocide did he visit upon Kuwait? Uh, uh, well, and I was waiting and I was surprised that that, that guy didn't say it. Um, I was waiting for the whole, well, the Iraqi army killed the babies in the incubators story. That was a big story here in the United States in the aftermath of the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait. And it was false. It was fake. It was planted in the media. Um, they had a, a supposed um, witness who was supposed to be a nurse. She was actually the Kuwaiti's ambassador's daughter. She wasn't in Kuwait. She was in Aspen when all this happened. Um, they, they dressed her up as a nurse brought her before Congress, gave this fake testimony. Oh my God, it's the worst thing ever. They had stories in the New York Times, came out like a, a year later that, yeah, that was all BS. It was basically cooked up by a Madison Avenue consulting firm to, hey, you know, if you just say they killed babies, and then you saw it again just recently with Trump. When uh, What was it, 2017 in, in the spring or 2018, that, oh, we got to bomb Syria because, you know, they were killing the babies, the little children, they gassed them. It's the same BS all over again, you know? Um, and I'm sure there's somebody out there that's like, oh, let's, you know, look, man, I, I'm a veteran. Uh, my grandfather served, my father, both of my, my father and my father-in-law. Um, my dad did two tours in Vietnam. My grandfather was World War II, Korea and Vietnam because, you know, he just couldn't get enough. Um, my father-in-law was 32 years in the Navy. Um, I lost friends had a friend die in Afghanistan. I mean, sorry, in Iraq, two weeks after his daughter was born. He saw his daughter the moment she was born. And then he shipped out that night. He was a, a Navy corpsman. He was with the Marines. The helicopter was shot down from under them. They were all killed. Never saw his daughter again. His daughter is now in high school. How long are we going to be seeing this over and over again? we're going to keep repeating the same mistakes if we don't learn our history, you know? Um, and so for me, that part is personal. And, um, you know, I think about that guy all the time. I think about the people that I recruited in the Navy and I'll never know, but you know, I always wonder, God, did one of them have an experience like that? You know, it's, it's, there's, there's a little bit of guilt there. Um, I think what opened my eyes, and, and I wouldn't have admitted it at the time, 
um, was the Michael Moore film. And I'm, I'm not a big Michael Moore fan. I think he's a crazy dude, but um, that Fahrenheit 9-11 and the part about, there's a part in there where he talks about how recruiters, um, they prey on poor communities. I, you know what? The high school you went to, it was not a poor community. And as a, as a recruiter, none of us ever went to that school. We didn't care. We're like, we're not going there. I had a, I had a, a very poor school that I was assigned to. And I had a, an office in the counseling center. They had an empty counselor's office and they basically gave me a count, a, an office. And they're like, yeah, you got, man. Cause a lot of those kids didn't have anything else, you know? Um, so that, that kind of weighs on my mind a little bit. Wow. What, we got off way off topic there, but no, that, that's okay. I think, I think from what you've, what you've said, what you've shared is history is not just a study of what happened. It's, it's also a study of why things happen. And, and it's not the past. It's with us right now. Right. So that, that's, I want to dig a little deeper on that. So, so what do you mean by that? That it's with us right now? You know, people talk about, so one of the, the great things, I loved it a few years ago when we were talking to, to the North Koreans and when Trump went over to, to North Korea and people were like, oh, but he's crazy. These guys are crazy. Why would you talk to Kim Il-sung or Kim Jong? I can't even remember. Uh, one of the Kims, whichever Kim it is, Kim the third, you know, why are you, why are you talking to Kim the third right now? And I probably just, not Kim Kardashian. I'm tired. Right. Yeah, it's the wrong Kim. Um, Kim Kardashian's way prettier, but uh, <laughs> I mean, of course that's not saying much. Cause I mean, <laughs> North Korean Kim, he's a little goofy, but, um, but I'm like, you know, he's not crazy. They're not crazy. They have a history with us, you know, read a little bit about the Korean war and, you know, you find out, I mean, we bombed them to oblivion. You know, there was bait. There were not many targets left in the country. They remember that. And they fear us. You know, we used to do, and I didn't know this until just a few years ago, um, MacArthur, and then later on, um, I guess other commanders continued it, would do daily practice bombing runs of simulating us dropping an atomic bomb on them. And they knew that the North Koreans knew that when we, when we bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki, it was just a single aircraft. So they would kind of do that just to kind of scare the bejesus out of them. You know, um, even if that only happened twice, can you imagine the fear that that would put into you? That's, you're probably going to be told that because Americans are, our sense of history is 10 minutes. You know, we forget that, that the whole mask thing was, you know, two weeks to stop the, the, the spread. And then, you know, 58 weeks later, well, the science has apparently decided now you can, you know, you don't need a mask, but um, I assure you the Koreans haven't, haven't forgotten that. Um, you know, the Russians, they have a history, you know, why are they, why Every, and, and usually the answer is, well, Putin, he's just evil and crazy. Okay. He's not evil and crazy. Like, watch the Oliver Stone episodes where he's interviewing him. They're on Showtime. It's a fascinating, fascinating set of interviews where I'm sitting there. And I'm like, man, I wish that, you know, our leaders could at least be this um, eloquent with their thoughts. And, and you can see that he thinks before he speaks. Just that alone would be nice, <laughs> you know, um, 
they've got a history. And, you know, why, so then if you start to kind of scratch it a little bit and you're like, okay, so why is Putin so distrustful of us? Oh, maybe it's, maybe it's the, the fact that we promised we would not expand NATO and then we put it right up to their borders. And maybe, maybe that's kind of, you know, got them a little freaked out. Because, you know, there was this weird thing called World War II where they were invaded. And then World War I where they're invaded from the same direction. So it's twice. Maybe they're, maybe they're just like, you know what, we, we ain't letting that happen again. So all of it comes down, you know, back in this very long and winding road. Um, answer of mine comes back to history and to trying to understand why people are do or why they do the things they do. You know, um, the North Koreans, aren't, the Iranians are not crazy. They're not. Why do they want a nuclear bomb? Because it guarantees their sovereignty. It guarantees we're not going to mess with them. Why did we invade Iraq? But we didn't invade China. We're never going to invade China. If you're a neocon and you're listening to this and you're like, yeah, we got to nuke China. You are crazy. You're not going to do anything to China. I assure you, they have a billion and a half people. They have nukes. Russia, you ain't doing jack. You'll talk trash to them, but you're not going to do anything because they can destroy us. Overnight. I mean, not, not even overnight, in 30 minutes. All of this would be gone. So, but, but Iraq, on the other hand, well, they didn't have anything to protect themselves. So no big deal. Syria, they don't really have anything to protect themselves. We'll pick on them. So all of this kind of comes back to history. And, and you've brought up history in different contexts. So you've talked about economic policy or economic history. You've talked about political history. You've talked about military history. It, it almost seems as though not only as you said, history is not just about the past. It's with us here and now. And it also shapes the future that we will chart, but mm -hmm. also it touches on every area of knowledge. Yeah. It's almost as though history is not its own separate no. compartment that doesn't touch anything. It's the exact See? opposite. So, yeah. Okay. So go ahead. Expand so, on that. So one of the, one of the things, you know, it's, it's really weird. I, I was walking my dog. I think it was like the summer of 2019. And I'm always kind of in the summer, I'm always kind of thinking, uh, how can I get, you know, get to these kids and get them to like history? And, and maybe if I say this or that, you know, and so I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't really think of this like right away. Uh, but it's basically kind of what you just said. And I'm walking my dog and I'm like, like the light bulb just went off. I'm like, you idiot. Like, you're not learning math in high school. I mean, you are, but you're really learning the history of math. You know, you're not really learning chemistry. You're not out there doing cutting edge, new chemical experiments. You're doing the same experiments your dad did and his dad did. It's the, it's the history of chemistry that you're learning. You're learning the history of literature. You're not reading cutting edge, new literature that's just coming out. You're reading the canon. You're reading Shakespeare, the same play that I read. You know, you're reading Macbeth. You're reading Hamlet, which is a fantastic man. If you're out there listening, kids, Hamlet, awesome. But it, it's meant to be watched, actually, not really read. Um, so, yeah, I, I like Shakespeare, but you got to watch it. It's much better when you watch it um, than when you read it. And I was a lit minor, so I'm probably pissing off some of my former literature professors if they were actually listening, but whatever. Um, you know, it's when, you, when you're in, in school, everything that you're learning is really the history of that topic, in a sense. Um, to a very real extent, maybe not totally, but, um, you know, your Pythagorean theorem, that was how many thousands of years ago? I mean, 
you're not, you're, you're, so you're learning the history of all of these things. So history really is kind of the core, even though we kind of get treated like the redheaded stepchild, but it's a really difficult subject. And one of the things I used to say, and I don't say it anymore, is that, come on, history is easy. Well, it was easy for me, you know, um, I just absorbed it, but other subjects weren't. And students have a hard time with history because you have to, it's just like anything else. you got to put in the effort, you know, you got to put in the time. Um, I haven't just read one or two history books. You know, I'm a nerd. I, I, I'm reading history all the time and it drives my wife nuts. I'm usually reading like three or four at any given time. Um, but I know, and usually like one book just for fun. Um, which I'm doing right now. And that she's just like, how do you keep it all straight? I'm like, actually it's part, I think I'm OCD. And so I have to, otherwise, like, I can't just read one book anymore, you know? Um, so, yeah. Well, and, and then um, going along your PhD though, if, if you are performing cutting edge research, it's almost imperative that you acknowledge the history of that field. Because in, for you to chart the new territory, let's use your map analogy, for you to reach a new frontier, you've actually had to have crossed a certain terrain. Yeah. Let's, let's call it the historical terrain. Yeah. You have to be able to know there's all these building blocks that people before us have, you know, they've pushed the frontier a little bit each time. And yep. then we, you know, we, take, we sort of pick up the baton where they left off and we try to push it a little bit more. That's correct. So, and. And I think, um, sadly, some professions, economics, has kind of gotten away from that. Um, from what I understand, and I'm not an economist, um, but I did stay in a Holiday Inn last night. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. Um, but I just, I, I couldn't resist it. It's a bad joke. I had to, I had to try. Um, but, I mean, you know, economics, from what I understand, grad students, they used to have to take like a history of economics, and it was like, if I remember correctly, it was like a two semester course where you kind of learned, you know, the classical economists, um, which Karl Marx is actually classical, by the way, he's not modern. Um, and then you learn about like the Austrian revolution, um, Karl Menger and um, von Bawerk and, and some of the early Austrians, if you want to call them that. And then you move up into the, like the 20th century and then you'll learn like Keynes and um, and the Keynesian people, but then you'll learn like Hayek and, and Mises. And, and so you learn all this stuff, but they don't really do that. And it's become really compartmentalized and specialized. I think the problem is that you're, you're missing out on a huge amount of knowledge, you know, um, and you really need to know that. I, I, like, I can't imagine if you were a Cold War historian and I asked you, so George, you know, talk to me a little bit about the Orthodox school of, of Cold War historiography. And you were like, I don't know, but my study here, which is really super specialized about growing tea during the Cold War in this province of southern Vietnam from 1967 to 1967. Okay, great. But I'm sure you got great stuff there. But, you know, you got to have that, that, that broad picture of the whole edifice, so to speak of, of that you're building on. Like you said, it's, it's a great analogy. You're build these people push the frontier a little bit further. And then, you know, you come in and push it a little further as well, but maybe you kind of look back too on some of their studies and go, well, 
you know, I'm going to reinterpret that because we right. all reinterpret that. And when I was a kid, not really a kid, but when I was an undergrad, one of the great things that people were arguing about was um, revisionist history. Oh, revisionist history. It's, you know, they're just changing history. It's all these crazy um, left-wing liberals. And, and it was the same stuff that you kind of hear today. And they're, they're trying to change history. But really, history is reinterpreted every generation or so, you know. Um, and <clears throat> that's, what, that's what, the, what the professionals do. Hey, guys, are you enjoying this episode on history and economics? Are you looking to take your learning to the next level? Well, the next level of the American History Podcast can be found at Liberty Classroom. This site is awesome, and it's perfect for parents who have homeschool kids or even adults who are simply lifelong learners. Go to the AmericanHistoryPodcast.com, click on the linked picture on the sidebar, and you'll be ready to join. You'll find courses on, of course, history, but also economics, Latin American history, literature, rhetoric, and more, all of which are taught by fantastic professors I know and trust. People like Tom Woods, graduate of both Harvard and Columbia, as well as others like Robert Murphy, Kevin Gutzman, Brian McClanahan, Jeffrey Herbner, and many other great scholars. Seriously, this is a fantastic site. If you're looking to finally learn the things they didn't teach in high school, but should have, unless I was your teacher, of course, this is the place for you. Again, be sure to enter the site via the link on our website, and we'll get a small finder's fee. It's a win-win for you and the show. Now back to the program. You know, I'm... I'm thinking of one of my high school math classes that I used to take and, and the teacher that I had, he actually did a a very, he, he, he would, the way that he would present the subject or the topic that we were learning was actually part of a historical story. And the way that he would present it is here was the problem that the mathematicians at the time or the engineers or whomever, was trying to solve. This is the problem that they had. So he almost involved us in the story or in the context. Yeah. You know, and he would say, well, how would you have done something like this? If you were there and you had to figure out the shortest distance between two points or something, you know, what, what is, what are the tools that are available to you that you can use to try to solve this problem? And then he would say, well, this is how, this is how they solved it. Yeah. And then like, going along with what you're saying is when we re- when we study history or maybe when we revisit it, mm-hmm. I think that's part of the, the innovation. If you want to talk about innovative frontier or ma- frontier is saying, okay, well, are we facing a similar problem or are there, what are the commonalities between the context then and the context now or the problems then and the problems now? And what tools do we have now to try to solve that problem yeah. that maybe weren't available then? It's much more of a story that way and it gets you involved in it. And I mean, I wish my math teachers would have done that. I might've liked math a whole lot better, you know, instead of just kind of here's how, here's this formula. Okay. But it was very disconnected. Why do I need this formula? What, what is this? How does this, you know, I'm okay. Great. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. Okay. (laughs) But what does that do for me? Right. Um, make it more of a puzzle, you know, and, and teaching is really difficult. And, and, and I don't begrudge anybody. Oftentimes we're taught, we teach the way we're, we were taught, you know. Um, and 
people think that, you know, teachers, you're given all this. It's weird. Like, I think we're given all this time off. Like we get all summer off. Well, no, actually my first day of summer break is June 6th, 7th. If you want to be technical about Monday, June 7th. Um, but I might be having a one week training thing that I have to go to. And then by the end of July, I'll be back at work because teachers have to come back at the end of July. School starts in early August. Yeah. We get two weeks off for fall break, two weeks off for spring break. Um, but we don't get summers off and you know, it's really difficult to do a lesson. People think that this stuff just like magically appears, you know, and I'm an idiot. I've been doing this 17 years and I try to change it up every year or two. You know, I don't try to, I don't want to do the exact, like I don't have lesson plans that are laminated, you know, um, and I'm going to change it up again. Now I've had to change it several times because college board changed world history twice in the last five years. Um, they changed it once and then they promised, Oh, we're not going to change it again. And then they immediately the very next year changed it and cut the course in half and said, Oh, but there's not going to be any extra, um, material. Sure. If you believe that I've got a bridge in Arizona, I want to sell you. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it was a bridge in New York, uh, whatever, California, who knows where, wherever, where do you want the bridge, George? I've got one for you, wherever you got, you want it. I've got it, brother. Um, but you know, so I had to change it twice. And then last year I had decided I was going to do something different, but I'm a madman. So I like, I started off my normal way. And then like right after fall break in October, the first nine weeks was over. I, during fall break, I decided I'm going to change my course and totally changed it. <laughs> and the rest of the year was different, but then like 12 weeks later, the world decided it was going to change the course again for me and throw us all onto this online stuff, which I'm awful at. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, it's funny. A buddy of mine works out in, in, um, micro, um, Microsoft, he works out in Silicon Valley and we grew up together and he, he was like, dude, I can't believe how technical you are not now. He's like, you had a computer. You were like the, 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 the computer geek. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm just not anymore. Like I hit, you know, it's funny you hit 40. And one of the things you start to notice is you're going to need bifocals at some point, which that's me. And I, I, and I joke, what also happens is that your ability to do technical stuff starts to fall. <laughs> you become a, a technical idiot. And I'm, I'm, I'm just not a tech guy anymore. I, you know, I can't do that stuff. And that's why I use Apple products because they're, they're made for idiots like me that I want this thing to be like a toaster. You know, I want it to just work to, to quote their commercial from 10 years ago or whatever. I don't want to customize this and that and do all this stuff. I mean, I don't have time. I want to turn the thing on and it needs to do what I need it to do. Um, but so I had to change the course up for this year. And then for next year, I'm going to change it totally again. Um, I don't know why. Well, I'm going to have to, I mean, I could just go back to the way I did it last year and I might do that. Um, but I want to do more project-based learning, um, where the kids are doing more projects. Um, well, I want to, I want to make one comment on your, your use of Apple products. 
Uh, I think that <laughs> there's actually, there's actually, a, well, there's, there's history behind that. A, a good business yeah. understands its customers. And if you, if you look at the products or the service that they've laid out, again, they're, they're studying why people, why we act and why we do what we do. And they're constantly tinkering to try to find the sweet spot or what needs yeah. to be done to, to achieve and this the, isn't the technological their, this isn't, goal. You know, I don't want to be, uh, um, I am a, a little bit of an Apple fanboy, and I'm not going to, um, you know, this isn't going to be an Apple commercial, but I, I, I read the uh, Walter Isaacson book on Steve Jobs when it came out. Actually, it wasn't when it came out. It was, um, I think it was a year after it came out. I was taking students to China that summer, 2012. And on the flights, I read the book because it's, you know, a long flight to Beijing from Texas. 16 hours and then it's 16 hours back. So I had a lot of time and I read the book and um, one of the things that Steve jobs and I, and I called it a toaster, but that's kind of what he, he wanted computers to be like a toaster or a refrigerator. You know, I don't need it. I don't need to customize my refrigerator. I, it's certain things that it needs to do and it needs to do them well. And it needs to do them all the time. Um, when I switch, cause I used to be a big Microsoft guy and PC guy Um it was because I had to spend like four hours on the phone with Microsoft. I was trying to upgrade to a new Windows product in like 2006 or seven, and it just wouldn't work with my computer and, and this and that. And, and it was just a nightmare. And I got ticked off and I hung up the phone. I took the, said to the wife, we're going to go to the, because I'm out of the military, but I still have PX and commissary privileges going up to the base. We're going to go to the PX. All right, great. You know, she thought we were shopping for, for whatever women want to shop for. There was an ulterior motive. Um, I wanted a new computer and I went and I saw they had apples and they were, they were a little bit cheaper. And the guy was like, you realize, and I'm like, Shh, yes, I can figure it out. I bought it. It was the first time I'd ever bought an apple. And I never looked back. Um, took me like 20 minutes to figure it out. I'm like, dude, this is so intuitive. It's almost like it knows what I'm thinking. It's crazy. So it works for me. And you're right. A great company. They know what they're doing. Um, and, and this goes along the lines of, of your point about history touching every area of knowledge for the, for the listeners who aren't quote-unquote historians or they don't, they're not fully in the pool, in the, histo- you know, the historical pool. They, maybe they're in, the, in certain businesses or you know, different, different industries. I, I, I would challenge you to, to look a little deeper and you can find how history affects your company. If it doesn't affect the processes, the current processes and relationships, the, the way people work, it sure affects the way that things are run or and the that's technology a, that's, that you have. That's a great point. And the Walter Isaacson book, man, um, even if you're not a fan of Apple, but the look into Steve Jobs and just his mentality and people always knew that he was a jerk. I mean, he was a hard, you know, he was like Bill Belichick, hard to work for. Uh, he demanded perfection. Um, but you kind of start to understand why. And, and it's kind of, it's understandable. It's like, you know, our company name is going on this product. And there, but there's a whole history behind that, that drive for perfection. Um, and the, the, the biography because biography is, is, is a form of history. Um, Walter Isaacson, man, that's a, that's a fantastic book. Really good. Really good. I want, I want to go back to something you said a while back 
you said that for you, history was an easy subject. You know, some people say I'm not a math person. And, yeah. you know, I, I think that the current, the current counter argument is sort of this growth mindset is that there's really no such thing as not being a math person. It's you need to develop the skills for yeah. math. Yeah. I'm not, you know, it's that, that's the countervailing, the counter argument right yeah. now I've seen on a lot of this. I'm wondering what, what is it about history that makes it difficult or the study of history that makes it difficult for some and, you know, possibly easier for others? You know, the, the flip side of the coin. I think that for students, you know, it doesn't seem immediate. And some students want immediacy. Like they want to know, okay, so why, you know, what do I care about this? Why am I reading about China in, you know, the Song Dynasty? It, there's, it doesn't touch on me today. And you're right. That part doesn't. Um, and so different students, you know, they're, they're people, right? Like different strokes for different folks, you know, some people like basketball. Um, I, I like to watch college basketball. I used to not, not really as much anymore as I did growing up. Um, but you know, I like, I love NFL football. Um, some people don't care for soccer. I love soccer. Soccer is actually my favorite sport. Um, I played it as a kid. Um, I was a left back and a center back because I was too slow. Um, and, but I could always, it just had a real knack for getting in the way of the ball <laughs> and keeping it from going towards the goalkeeper. And so they were like, yeah, you can be the center back. You're good. Um, but you know, so I, I love soccer. Not everybody does. And so kids are kind of the same way. Um, some kids, maybe they would like social history or cultural history. Some boys tend to like military history. They want to read about crap blowing up. You know, they just want it to go boom. Um, you know, they're not really into gender history. And that's fine because I'm not either. I mean, I've taken a gender class here and there on, in grad school. Um, but it wasn't really my thing. But I took it because I, I, I want to at least be aware of some of the stuff that's going on. Um, again, not my bag. It's Okay. Um, economic history isn't everybody's deal. Um, I find economic history to be fascinating. Legal history. I had at one point I wanted to be a lawyer. I am so glad I didn't do that. Um, <laughs> I mean, my bank account isn't my bank accounts like crying at me right now. You idiot. Um, but no way I, I, legal history just bored me to death. Um, so it's, it's the same thing, you know, some subjects, we, we tend to gravitate towards, we, maybe, maybe you're the kid that liked doing puzzles. And so you're more mathematically inclined, you know, I don't know. Um, I tended to like English literature and history because it was like a story. Um, and for me, my favorite, and anybody who knows me and, and, and I've said it probably several times already, obviously my favorite, well, there's two films that I just love to death, which really speak to who I am. The original Star Wars film and Rocky. The original Rocky film, listeners, if you haven't watched it, it's amazing. It's the hero's journey, just like Star Wars is. Um, it's just with a boxer, not with a kid on a faraway planet. Um, 
but both of those really speak to me. But Star Wars spoke to me, and it's like a history of something, of course, that never happened, right? Um, but my favorite character was Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I just loved that part when he tells Luke, you know, that for a thousand generations, the Jedi were the protectors of peace and justice in the galaxy until the dark times, until the Empire. And I wanted to know what the heck happened. I wanted, so I wanted the history of this. Um, but I think, you know, when you're reading it, because historians, man, we're not, we're not very good storytellers. We're not, I mean, historians, we're not very good writers. There's some who are, um, one of my inspirations, Tom Woods, he's a great, that dude can write. Um, but he went to Harvard and Columbia and, and he's just, man, he can write. Um, but for the most part, historians were not very good writers. You know, having said that, there's there's a certain beauty to history. And it is a story. And it's the human story. It's our story. And, you know, I don't want to, I never dismiss something or somebody as just crazy. Even, I mean, I did a bonus episode called Redneck, Crackers, Rednecks, and Donald Trump. And it talked about the history in America of this kind of cracker culture, and then related it to Donald Trump because I wanted to understand him. I don't want to dismiss him as crazy. I want to know where's he coming from. There's a whole history of that trash talking. And it and it's even gotten into like urban um, African-American culture. And it's kind of, it's weird how this actually comes from England. But as most culture, you know, when you transplant it somewhere, it dies out in the original place, but it lingers on in the new place. It's, it's kind of weird how that works. Cracker culture comes from England um, and the borderlands, the Scotch English borderlands area, but it's gone. There's nothing there that, that would really make you go Donald Trump. But this kind of trash talking that Donald Trump engages in is very, um, it's very much coming out of that redneck cracker culture. Um, so if I can plug that episode, Hey man, go back and listen to that episode guys. Um, that it's a bonus. Well, there's, it's like an hour long episode. And I think I put 20 minutes for free out, but you can check it out on Patreon. It's, it's really good. I think. Well, you bring up something that is, is very personal because certain cultures value history and, and especially coming from a, from a middle Eastern background who your parents are, who your grandparents are, what village, what city you're from. I mean, all of those, um, you know, just by way of background, if, if I go back to, you know, the country that my parents immigrated from and, and I, I went back in 2015 and I just had to tell them my name, that's it. Just my name Mm -hmm. and the, the town that my parents were from. And they had anyone from that region could give you a, a quick profile of my family history. <laughs> they knew, they knew what my grandparents did. They knew where we came from. They knew the, the occupation. They knew our religion, our religious background. I mean, it was all in a name. It was all in a name. And, and we, we you know, we joke around about the chisme, the gossip, you know, there's people who care about relational history. That's, ah. 
so so for someone to say I don't care about history, I think is being disingenuous. It's it's possible, like you said, that it's more of a topical or a subject yeah. issue. But then the other part of it is, I think depend like regardless of the topic, what makes a good historian? I think your ability, and this is my thing, your ability to well, first of all, I want to see an argument. And we were talking about that. So that's why I always try to put an argument out there is there's got to be an argument. You know, why am I reading this? I, I, I don't need to read a book to tell me that 1776 X happened and then 1778 Y happened. Okay. But so I want an argument, right? Um, and to me, good history is history that admits there's more than one side, you know? Um, and so like for World War II, when I'm getting into the Japanese history, we're, we're, I think I've spent, I'm on episode seven in the writing and the first, well, the first one's the introduction. And then the, the, the next five are on like the rise of militant Japan. And so it's Japanese history as much as I can do it. So if you're a Japanese um, listener, you know, if I'm messing up the history, please forgive me. I'm doing the best I can. I can't read Japanese, so I can't read any, you know, um, actual Japanese literature on the subject. So it's all English language, Americanized stuff. But, you know, trying to understand Japan prior to the war. And why did the Japanese act the way they did? Because there's reasons for it. And it's not that they're crazy, you know, or all oh, they were just evil. Um, one of my professors in grad school, who I'm really good friends with, um, Dr. Cartwright, uh, as a matter of fact, we, we try to have lunch or coffee every now and then, and, um, it's been a while, but we're going to have lunch here in a couple of weeks. Um, he always says, you know, if, if somebody's giving you a monocausal, in other words, there's one cause for something that's garbage, you know? So like, if you're reading about the civil war and it's all about slavery, it's much more complicated than that, you know? Um, just think about anything that, that you've lived through. That's a historical event of epic proportions like that. You know, nine 11. Oh, the, the terrorists just hate us for our freedoms. Okay. George W. Bush. Um, I think it's a little more complicated than that, bro. I don't think they're upset at us because we have Tupperware parties. I think they're probably upset about other things. Um, so for me, good history. Also, I don't want to see, and this is my thing, and, and there's people in the profession who disagree with me. You know, I don't want to judge people 200 years ago on values that they did not possess. It's, it's, it's okay. And so what I mean by that is, you know, you can judge people living in the 1840s for having slaves based on the fact that slavery kind of goes against the whole freedom thing. <laughs> Just a little bit, right? Um but we can't judge them for not having the same values that we do in 2021. I don't think that's fair, you know? Um, and there are some who disagree with that and, and, you know, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm more than willing to, to listen and weigh evidence to, if they can bring me something and say, Hey, you know, check this out. But I, I just, I don't want to, I want to understand the people, of the 1840s, if that's what I'm reading for 
what they were doing based on their own values and their own value system. And then if they were breaking their own value system, then yes, indeed, they should be condemned. I don't think anybody um, is going to say that slavery was a good thing, you know, unless you're one of like 12 knuckleheads that's out there that's like, oh, yeah, we should restore slavery. Okay, come on, give me a break. Um, but nobody, no, no serious person is, is out there saying that. I hope. Yeah, and, and the 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 principles that you've outlined, or let's say the skills of a good historian, um, being able to take into account nuance, you know, yeah. avoiding, or, you know, being able to take into account multi-causality yeah. and being able to weigh the different factors that are going into why we make the decision that we make. I think that's, that's, that's a skill applicable now, just as much as it is in the study of the, the past, but also in any field. And yes. it's very, it's very science. It's very much part of the scientific process. And should be. be able to, right. Be part of, you know, check all your variables, tinker with some, you keep some, you know, you, you yeah. change others, but to give one cause and one effect, you know, it doesn't, it, it's not sincere. It's not honest and it's not helpful no, in, it's not. In, in, in a scientific pursuit. And that's Imagine, my biggest, my biggest complaint, I guess. And so, you know, hopefully some of the listeners won't get upset, but I'm sorry. You know, my biggest complaint with Fauci was in the summer, I think somebody had asked him, well, you know, did you consider like the economic fallout on people um, from lockdowns? And he said, no. And I'm like, but you're an administrator. You're not you're like, you're not a scientist in a lab with a microscope anymore. Like, that's not what you're getting paid for anymore. Like you are an administrator. You need to be seeing the big macro picture as well as the micro level. And so mono, again, we're getting to, you know, you can't just have one cause and one effect. Well, if, if you just wear a mask, then this will happen. But I mean, we've seen the data. It, it, it's all over the place. So, you know, the same with a historian is that you've got to be able to see nuance. You've got to be able to, to have an argument that, does take into account, and this is one of the things that I know we taught you guys, um, is that you've got to have a counterclaim, as, right. and that's just in an essay. Um, and so I always try to, to present that as much as I can. And if I haven't, then I wish a listener would email me. And email me, by the way. Don't, don't, don't give me a negative review and say, oh, you suck because you didn't do this, because then I can't respond. You know, Send me an email. I do read and respond to every single email I get. I don't get that much that I can't do it. Um, plus I'm a madman and I don't really sleep that much. So I'm up at like four in the morning, every morning. So rain, sleet, hail, snow, it doesn't matter. Weekend, Christmas day, New Year's day, July 4th, whatever day it is, I guarantee you I'm up at four because my dogs make me get up and throw them out because they got to go take a leak. And then they go back to sleep and daddy's just sitting there like, thanks guys. I'm awake. I guess I'll check my email. So I will respond. Um, but you know, you can't just look at one thing. You got to have, you got to have a nuanced argument. You got to have all these things. And, and I definitely want, you know, let's try to tell students, you know, don't just dismiss somebody as crazy. If you don't like Biden, then don't just say, oh, he's crazy. Oh, Biden's stupid. Okay. Well, great. Now you don't have to deal with it, except I'm the guy that's going to make you deal with it. I want to, why, why is he crazy? Oh, so what you're saying, he's not crazy. He just has a different worldview. Oh, okay. So now we can, we can get somewhere. Um, you know, the only person you're allowed to say that's crazy is me. Th that's okay. I, I agree with you. My wife will agree with you. 
my dogs might not like you for that because they love me to death because they're dogs and you know that's what dogs do well and i think on a personal level to be able to at least consider the fact that not necessarily that i might be wrong but that there may be more to the story or it's not as simple and and plain and basic the, the world is as, as the way i think it speaks a little bit of humility, you know, epistemic humility, but more of it can translate into interpersonal humility. It's to say, okay, maybe this other person or this group is, is coming from something from a different perspective. Maybe they know something I don't. Mm -hmm. Maybe they have a different purpose or vision or worldview. Perhaps that, that maybe the, the study of history is also something more of being able to understand why the other person is doing what they're doing, as opposed to, like you saying, ascribing or projecting why I would do it mm -hmm. into that context. And I think my own personal opinion, that's very dangerous to do. And it's, it's a very disingenuous to be able to say that I would act this way in this circumstance. It's like, well, are you sure that you would do that? Are you that? morally righteous are you that sure yeah given the, the pressure and the circumstances that you would be able to to do that and maybe that's part of the study of history is to be able to take a good look at yourself and ask yourself if you really would do the same thing or something different in that circumstance and so here's where my man my my hearts and bunny rabbits lines are going to start to come out or, or maybe my my utopian the utopian me, you know, part of what I, I, part of why I'm a libertarian is that I believe in consistency and I want to live in a world that's peaceful. I want to live in a world where people just get along and we all have peaceful interactions and exchanges where we all benefit. The way that I see that happening is to understand each other better. You know, I mean, we can look at what's going on in Israel and Palestine right now, and it's awful. You know, and, and when students start talking to me about war, I'm like, you know, you don't have any clue what war is about, my friend. There's no such thing as a smart bomb. Smart bombs don't exist, buddy. I, I did, I worked in on a weapon system in the Navy. Let me tell you, they're dumb. And when it, you know, at best you have proximity fusing. So when the weapon gets to within a certain distance of wherever it's going, boom, it goes off. It doesn't kill only the bad guys. It kills anybody there. And, you know, it's awful. War is awful. It's not something that we should be. And, and I'm talking from, man, I'm a reformed neocon. I grew up, one of the things that, that I was, I was big Reagan and I was big Cold War. And so a funny story, I was a high school journalist. And during the whole 1987-88 timeframe when Reagan was meeting with Gorbachev and they were starting to come up with, with treaties and stuff, uh, me and a friend, we wrote counter arguments in our school newspaper. And he took the pro-Reagan, yes, we should, we should be friends with the Soviets. And I was the hawk. And I was like, heck no, don't trust these commie bastards. Don't make anything. They, you can't trust them. No, no, no. And I'm, I'm now I'm like, you know, that was insane. Um, 
War is awful. When you kill somebody, you take away anything they ever were, and you've ended anything they ever could have been. And it's final. You don't know what, I mean, what if that kid that died, what if he was supposed to be something great? It's over, man. What if he was going to discover the, the, the cure to cancer? I know somebody out there is like, oh, quit being naive. Somebody else will come along. Yeah, but maybe it's 10 years down the road. And maybe the fact that it was 10 years too late for you because you got cancer and then you ended up dying. I mean, we don't, we don't know. You know, we can play that what if game all, all day long, right? Um, but it, it, it really, that's kind of my, my hopefulness is that by teaching history and teaching this through the podcast, cause I can reach way more than I ever could as a, as a classroom professor or teacher. Um, you know, I mean, I've, I've maybe taught about 20 years now, so I don't, it's been less than 20 years. It's like 15. So I don't know. What is that? 2000 students? give or take that's not even what i get on downloads for an episode now not even half you know i mean so just in the last year we've had about 400,000 downloads so let's say in 4 years we've had about a million downloads and i'm sure there's people that that didn't like it and you know i'm not everybody's cup of tea and that's 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 okay um i'll be the first to say i'm not that great at a, as a podcaster, I'm not, I, you know, it, it, it takes more than 80 episodes. And if you don't think it does, you're crazy. You're kidding yourself. Um, I, I read a, a book on, I think it was, um, uh, it was, it was about the economics of soccer, but they were talking about Wayne Rooney and they figured out like he spent like 40,000 hours practicing before the age of 18. Like they broke it down and they're like, that's, that's why Wayne Rooney was Wayne Rooney. You know, that's why Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers. They spent tens of thousands of hours to get. Now, there are those that, that just maybe are, are naturally more gifted than others, you know, um, but it's really difficult to do something and it's really difficult to master something. You, you can write. You can learn how to write an essay in a couple hours. But can you master the form? That's a whole different ballgame. That's why, you know, if we're talking authors, Books, man, I love the Game of Thrones series, The Song of Ice and Fire. George R.R. R. Martin is a genius. Um, I'd put him up there with Tolkien, and Tolkien, I think, was the greatest author of the 20th century. Um, then you look at, at, at what George Martin's done, and that is just, it, it's mind-boggling. Um, but I assure you, he didn't just write those books. He's always writing something. Always, always. And people are complaining, well, you know, he needs to hurry up and get book six down and a lot of, blah, blah, blah. Well, man, reread those books. If you haven't read them or if you have read them, read them, reread them and think about how many characters there are, how much depth there is. Like that dude probably has to go read, read those books all the time just to, okay, what, what did I don't want to contradict this or that? So um, yeah, but again, I kind of got, got off topic there, but anyways. Well, yeah. I think that the, the point maybe to drive the personal role of history in one's life home that you brought up is it's not just an intellectual exercise. This isn't something that 
maybe for some it is, maybe it's just something that you, you, you dabble in and you just want to learn about and it piques intellectual curiosity. But I think at the end of the day, we, we are, we live, we are embodied creatures. We live in a world where we act and perhaps a better understanding of history helps us to be better humans and to act better with one another. You know, maybe going along the lines of what you said, you know, I wouldn't discount your utopian vision, but you know, it's, if, if we do want to live with one another and live in a civil society or a peaceful one, maybe a, a better understanding of history will actually help us achieve that as opposed to maybe taking the, a path that we could have avoided. And, and I we, think that's important. A little. You know, um, we've got to learn that, that, that guy across the street or down the way that, you know, you think is kind of weird. He's just like you, man. He's just like you. People in Palestine, the Palestinians, or the people in Israel or the people in Syria, they're just like you. They've got hopes and dreams too. And maybe if we remember that, we can make this world a little bit better than it was in real ways, not in fake ways, not in just superficial ways, not just, oh, well, you know, you don't use that. Okay, great. I mean, there's so many superficial changes, but I'm talking like real lasting, you know, changes where we realize that we can all benefit. I have a, I have a few other questions for you, and then sure. I think we can wrap this up. Sure. Um, I can ask them both at the same time. Okay. And you take them the way that you wish. What is the, what do you see the role of the historian in a civil society? Number one. Okay. And number two is what do you hope that your listeners would take with them after listening to your podcast and engaging with you? Perhaps, perhaps the reason why I'm asking them at the same time is maybe they're related Yeah. or they can be. So I'll let you finish off with that. I, I think that, you know, the role of the historian is basically kind of doing what I'm doing. And, and so what I want people to take away, I think is what the historian wants to take away is to not just learn something about, you know, a past event, not just to learn the mistakes and the triumphs of the past, to learn a little something about other people is one of the things that I want them um, to learn. And I'm sure people can hear my dog barking in the background. That's Sophie. Um, she's grumpy because she, if an animal shows up on TV, then she goes, she, she's ready to go to war, especially if it's horses. She hates horses. I don't know what the deal is with that dog. She just hates horses. Um, but to learn something about yourself, and for us to realize that we don't always have all the answers. You know, I think sometimes we think that we have all the answers. But yes, that's, that's what I would like um, them to get out of this. And I think that's what the historian is supposed to show. You know, um, famously, I, I don't know if it's, it's really famous or not, but I, I tend to remember when um, Richard Nixon passed away. You know, they had all these these um, stories about Richard Nixon, especially in his later years. He gave up his Secret Service detail. Some people may not know that. Uh, he gave up his Secret Service protection. 
He was living in uh, New York. I don't think it was New York City at this point. I think it was like upstate New York. And a young man saw him one day. Well, we would see him every day walking his dog out, you know, just like a normal old guy. And the kid was talking to him and said, you know, I heard you were president or something to this extent. You know, I want to be president one day. What, 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 you know, what should I, I study? And Richard Nixon said, study your history. Because it's, it's, it's going to help you to understand people. And I would add, it's going to help you to understand yourself. You know, why do you believe the things you believe? Why do they believe the things they believe? All of that is there. It's in history. Um, and it's important for us to understand that. And we can't, we can't, and especially now, I mean, we live in such an interconnected world. You know, you can hop on a flight and I know it, like Beijing is 16 hours. It's really not that far. I mean, when you come down to it, yeah, it feels it when you're on that airplane, you know, you're in that metal tube going at 500 miles an hour or whatever it is. Uh, 35,000 feet up, but I mean, it, it's, it's mind boggling that you can go anywhere on the planet pretty quickly and fairly inexpensively. And so I think we've got to learn from our history because this is all we've got. It's us. I mean, well, maybe, I don't know. There've been some stories lately about UFOs and stuff, so maybe not. Um, but, <laughs> and I could, kind of verify one. I've, I've, I heard some stuff when I was in the Navy that kind of verifies some of this, but anyways, um, that's a, that's a topic for a different day. Um, I mean, this is, but it's for the, we know, officially that's for, that's for only the, the top level Patreon subscribers. <laughs> that's the tinfoil hat level. I got to make a hundred dollar yeah. a month level called the tinfoil <laughs> hat level. And we'll talk about, we'll talk about aliens and, um, uh, other crazy stuff like that. And that'll, that would really get me in trouble. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's insane, you know, like, like this is all we've got. So um, one of the things that I've learned, because I was, I was that kid, I was that young man and that, that adult even who was like, oh, they're, 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 they're just crazy. And I pointed out the George W. Bush thing earlier because I was one who fell for that. Even though I was, I was already kind of a libertarian, um, but I did fall for it. You know, I, I bounced back and forth a little bit. But it was really kind of the Michael Moore thing that really kind of started my awakening. And then, then hearing Ron Paul in 2008, and then it was just like, I was like totally converted. It wasn't just kind of sort of um, lukewarm libertarian, um, which I had been. It was um, full-blown. I was red-pilled, as they say, and um, couldn't go back, you know. Um, but I... I one of the things that I want to I want to do is for people to get try to understand other people. You know, don't just look at the Middle East and say, "Oh, Israel good guy, Palestine bad guy," or vice versa. It's much more complicated than that. And and I'll just end with just remember, you are not the state. The Jewish people are not the state of Israel. They're not. I'm not the state of the United States. I don't make any policy decisions. I don't have any pull over what we do that ends up in people dying. That's not me. So I'm kind of innocent and all that kind of the same way that, you know, just your average Jewish person who's in Tel Aviv right now is kind of innocent of what's going on. They they've probably been propagandized too. 
just like everybody else. We all are inundated with propaganda. And what I want to do is try to understand people and hopefully make things a little bit better. You know, if you only change 10 people, well, maybe those 10 people go change 10 people and who knows, we change the world. Well, it has been a pleasure <laughs> speaking with you and discussing with you many different topics, all related to history in one way or another. Um, for the listeners, you know, I, I know you personally, I, I can vouch for you when you say that you're willing to engage and you're willing to listen to, to your audience. You know, if, if you have a different argument or if you have a different take, be willing to engage. And uh, I think from 80 podcasts, 85, 86 podcasts that you've done, I hope you have 80 more and they're more successful and that you reach more people and at the very minimum, help one another understand each other and get us to think a little bit deeper about our, our human condition. And I think that's, that's, it's not a low bar, it's a high bar. And that's, and that's a lot. So thank you again. Do you like the sound of the American History Podcast? My audio production is provided by the Mad Octopus. Check them out over at madoctopusmedia.com.